Blog Talk Radio. lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision, but I want you to think about this. This song is going out to the mighty, mighty world of women at that clinic, and you have to make a decision. Is it life? Is it death? I know you must decide. Either way, either choice, it is a long ride. Raise a child, sing a mom, and will the father be there? You had your fun that night, but I don't think he cares. Bring a life into this world is a big responsibility. Women, can you hear me? Each life is precious, so I ask that you think about it. There are people that can help you, so don't doubt it. It's demanding and you may not have much to give So hear me out when I say Just let her live I want you to know that they're precious human life Just let her live Taking away their chance I don't think that it's right Just let her live Taking away their opportunity to go Can you hear me? Pretty good. Okay. And there's our third, third spoke. Oh, there she is. Hi, Melissa with the gorgeous Hi. little face. Hi, everybody. Hey there. I'm oh, here. Welcome I'm to the here, show, everybody. Great. And I wanted to change things up today and start with our 
something that uh, that leads into our other stories first. But I know Thomas, let's get going. Uh, let's dedicate this hour to the Lord and uh, tell him why. Tell our audience why we're here. Deuteronomy chapter thirty verse nineteen says, "I record this day against you that I have set before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, so that you and your seed might live." Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God. I lift up to you our show today, Father, and I lift up the family of James Foley, the young man who was so brutally murdered this past week, Lord God. And, Father, we just ask you to comfort his family as the news has came out that he was basically tortured because of his Catholic faith. So we ask you to just comfort his family We ask that you bless the show, that those who are listening might be able to truly understand what being 100% pro-life is about. So we say we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. So, we're like I said, we're going to change things up because some things have happened this week. Uh, you might have noticed in the news that my backyard has been in the news for the past two years, two weeks, two years, two well, weeks. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of developments have occurred. Uh, some of them are are informative. Just let's say, put it that way. And some of them are not that informative. Some things are downright stupid. Right. And what was supposed to happen, they know yesterday, yesterday was Anonymous's Day of Rage. Now, do you know what I'm talking about, Thomas? Yes, I do. <laughs> hey. I, I, I somehow I missed it, but apparently the whole nation missed it, too. Uh, because today was supposed to, yesterday, I'm sorry, I keep saying today. So, so yesterday was supposed to be the day of rage where Anonymous, because of the events in Ferguson, decided to let's all collectively get out and scream at the top of our lungs or something and show the world how angry we are at police brutality. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm totally up uh, on being against police brutality. Uh, but get out and protest against police brutality and an oppressive government that continues to be so racist and all the racism in Ferguson and how racist Ferguson is. It's 70% black, but it's so racist. Everything's so racist. And uh, this is what they released. We call upon the citizens of the United States 
to collectively gather in support for those who are suffering in Ferguson. We must indeed all hang together as one nation or most assuredly we shall all hang separately. The world is witnessing our response. If we stay silent as we watch our brothers and sisters suffer the oppression that authorities has brought upon them, who's to say that the next attack will be in your city? We therefore once again call upon the citizens of the United States to take to the streets in a day of collective rage against the actions of police and their commanders. It is our time to get up from our couches, to turn off the TV, and to gather and raise our voices. Anonymous continues plans to assist with protests by leaving our keyboards and going on the ground with our brethren. Our collective will join those who demonstrate on the streets. Times, dates, and locations for protests will be listed locally and will be available in the description of this video. We continue to demand that Congress take immediate action and pass a bill that will enforce body cameras on local and state authorities, titled Mike Brown's Law. The petition is located in the description. We also demand the immediate arrest and prosecution of the identified shooter, Darren Wilson, immediately. August 21st is our day to rise up. Our presence will continue unless these demands are met. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Expect us once again. Is it over yet? Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, sorry for yawning, everybody. Uh, but I felt, I, I don't think I saw anything yesterday. And during the time, if they had that list up, if you want to see it, St. Louis's Day of Rage protest was supposed to be 6 o'clock yesterday. I think it just blew by me. I'm, I guess I was napping. Oh, no, I was talking on the radio on, on a Google Hangout with our great host, co-host, Melissa, about some really important things. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, what I mean, we can pick this apart and tell. And let me tell you exactly yeah. what's so stupid about it. Um, but really, uh, I okay. Like I said, I'm not against being against police brutality and speaking your mind and getting up off your couches and getting out there and making your voice known. Um, but to go outside and go outside and do what exactly? It seems a little bit a little bit on the sketchy side. And if anything, if what they're doing is anything like what has happened here in Ferguson, I want to say no thanks. I won't be throwing any bottles. I won't be throwing any rocks or bricks. And I throw, won't be lighting things on fire uh, to get my point across. So uh, what happened across the country was a collective yawn uh, <laughs> with regard to the day of rage. Uh, the, the uh, let's see, the Gateway Pundit, Jim Hawk himself, has reported and with pictures and tweets to, to boot that the day of rage that was supposed to happen in over 20 cities across the country was largely a no-show. Reporters came out everywhere in all these cities, and police were out in droves because they got the memo, and there were more, I, I, sw I swear, there were more, more pebbles in the street than there were people for these things. Um, and nothing, nothing happened. Doesn't wow, sound like people thing. were very enraged about this anonymous cause. <laughs> but I guess it's for the best. 
Uh, but what right. are they so enraged about? And we turn our attention back here to Ferguson, Missouri. I almost don't even want to say the name Ferguson, Missouri anymore. I it just it, I just want to throw up from this point on because it's been beat to death. But since this is an ongoing thing, it is not over. This train ride is not over yet. Uh, and I feel sorry for the people of Ferguson. I feel sorry for me because I, every time <laughs> I have to talk about this, I feel like I'm part of the problem. As such as, such as a few people who, who have been on the ground as reporters, as photographers, also feel. And what right. I wanted to... What I wanted to to share with you today was is a shift in attitude. It may not be a shift in attitude with most reporters, but at least two people who are part of the media have walked away from Ferguson, Missouri, for one singular reason. And uh, I wrote this up in a blog post. It's up on my blog. It's going to be up at uh, TrueLifeFridaysRadio.com soon, as well as other media outlets. Um, it's basically how reporters smoked Ferguson, Missouri. And by smoked, I mean smoked Ferguson, Missouri. What started out as a local shooting death in an average neighborhood in the township of Ferguson, just outside of St. Louis City, has become a media crack house. The immediate right. rush to label label this incident a racially motivated incident, even murder has been nothing less than a call to get high for journalists. Thus, in these two weeks, in, in this two weeks since the shooting, journalists from news networks, citizen journalists, bloggers, everybody, have come running to St. Louis salivating like Pavlov's dogs. A story about a white cop who shoots an unarmed black teenager in cold blood is a tremendous fix even if they have to cook up that narrative with as few facts as possible. So the story hasn't turned out, though, to be what they had anticipated, as things aren't always as simple as they appear. Details surrounding the incident came out drop by uncomfortable drop, revealing a fuller picture that perhaps Officer Darren Wilson had probable cause to shoot and kill. No matter what has supplied the media with continuous fixes are the looters and the rioters and the police with tear gas, the insertion of politicians called to do something about civil unrest, the arrival and departure of the National Guard, and even the federal government carving out a role for itself in a neighborhood that is better measured in square yards than in square miles. And so, two weeks later, with no new developments in the investigation into the shooting, that story seems to have faded significantly as the reporters themselves have taken center stage. The media now appear to be like a large flock of pigeons flitting up and down West Florissant Avenue. They have nailed down canopies, and reporters can be spotted at almost every street corner, psychoanalyzing everything from gunshot wounds to voting practices of the state. It just feels 
and smells like they are here to put themselves on camera. And I'm not the only one saying that. One journalist and one photographer have recently written blog posts separately about why they are leaving Ferguson and why they are doing it for all the right reasons. One of them is Ryan Schlusser, who's a freelance journalist, and he shares one of his observations, one of the things that led him to want to leave. He said one reporter last night, and this is on his blog post, last night he said he came to Ferguson as a networking opportunity. He later asked me to take a picture of him with Anderson Cooper. (laughs) Shame, shame, shame. He writes, there are now hundreds of journalists from all over the world coming to Ferguson to film what has become a spectacle. I get the sense that many feel this is their career make. In the early days of this, I was warmly greeted and approached by Ferguson residents. They were glad that journalists were there, but in the past two days, they do not even look at me and blatantly ignore me. I recognize that I am now just another journalist to them, and their frustration with us is clear. In the beginning, there was recognizable need for media presence, but this is the other extreme. They need Mm -hmm. time to work through this as a community without the cameras. We should all be ashamed, and I cannot do it anymore. I am thankful for my gracious editors who understand that. Now, interestingly enough, this particular journalist was writing or doing work for Al Jazeera. Woohoo! <clears throat> you like an apple. Well, photographer, another guy, photographer Abe Van Dyke, confesses he felt like he was part of the problem. He said, "When the skies turn dark, uh, when the skies turn dark, when troublemakers come out, which has led to night after night of violence in the small community, expecting the worst, an increasing amount of amateur foreign and domestic journalists came to town." At one point, there appeared to be as many media members as there were protesters. A woman Mm -hmm. was and a civilian medic needed to attend to her, which brought the media to completely surround her and the medic. To me, this is the point where the media is no longer simply reporting what is happening, but rather becoming a hindrance and making the situation worse. Over the past few days, journalists have been part of inciting protesters by getting dangerously close and not always following police orders. I am no state. I I photographed alongside everyone tonight and was part of the problem. I refused to follow police orders and only moved when threatened by arrest or with the flow of the crowd. I am embarrassed by the way the media acted tonight, myself included, and have decided that the media is now a problem in Ferguson. I will be leaving Missouri in the morning, while hundreds of other journalists will continue to record events and battle with police for the right to be there. Well, I can't say it any better than that, but I have to admit, though, it hasn't been all bad, though. The media, eager to scoop up anything they can find, have unwittingly outed the great number of out-of-town protesters among the locals. Perhaps they outnumber the locals. Known Marxist revolutionaries, new Black Panthers, 
and professional agitators have been spotted in the streets. Even Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson have paid a token visit. Eric Holder, too. I, I wonder how many of them even know the names of Michael Brown's parents. Clearly, the situation in Ferguson has become ridiculously media-driven. It would be better for the community if the cameras were put away at this point because it can be difficult to tell if the marchers are marching for Michael Brown or marching for the camera. And some looted hair extensions. And the journalists? I think it would be hard for them, too. They will stay at least through the Michael Brown funeral. If there's still a little left, life left in Ferguson, I'm pretty sure they're going to burn and smoke that up before they finally look elsewhere. And when they leave, I think that would be better for the community, but it will also be a sad testament to what a story like this really means to them. It's just right. a crack. It's just a crack hit, people. There's nothing more driving than the narrative that has been run so far that a racist white cop kills a black teenager in the middle of the street in cold blood uh, just, for the, just for being a racist, just for that alone. And as trying, trying, they're trying so hard to push that narrative over and above the facts. Right. And sad. Sad. It makes me sick that this is happening. Right. But at the same time, I think it serves as a good example. These are these these media junkies are sometimes very callous in how they handle the stories they cover. They're look they're at it they're at it for their own fame. They're at it to make it a career move for them. Right. One of the the uh, Ryan Schlusser. Yeah, Ryan Schlusser had in his blog post had also mentioned that during the 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 immemorial gathering, I guess, on the street at the site where uh, Michael Brown had died, um, you know, they lit candles, they they had flowers, they had a small a small informal memorial. The reporters were basically standing there making small talk with each other and asking, you know, and, and laughing and and looking at it as as a spectacle and not as something that's happening in some people's lives that's very meaningful to them. I mean, I feel like uh, Ferguson has become uh, uh, has come under this bubble that everybody's looking through like a, a specimen in a petri dish. It's, I mean, wherever you come down on the situation, whether you think there was a great injustice being committed with the shooting or not, you should be very offended that you're being treated like a like a zoo a zoo exhibit, and everybody's here to report on the zoo exhibit. What's the bear doing today? What's you know what's the bear eating? Did it move on one side of the cage or the other? I mean, it really is kind of disrespectful. And people are pushing back against that. Even, uh, it was hilarious. This week, uh, Al Sharpton came into town. That was last week. He came into town, and many people told him to leave. They didn't welcome his presence here. 
<clears throat> Same thing happened to Jesse Jackson. There's a video of him pulling away from the McDonald's that was out there in yep. the street, and they basically said, you got to go. You're not helping us here. Uh, we don't want right. you here. And Eric Holder also received the the backhand of fellowship <laughs> from some people. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> And, I mean, I think there's a great frustration with people that are supposed to be able to do something that they're not actually do, doing something. Now, I, Thomas, I know you have something to say about that. About Jesse Jackson? About, well, the whole lot of them and the reaction that people are having to them. They're not exactly being welcomed with open arms. Well... Um, I must say I'm not surprised. It's just too bad that their reaction couldn't be for the right reason. They fed up. Basically, they think that they should be catering to them instead of saying, hey, we can figure this out on our own. Let us figure it out on our own. Mm -hmm. But they're just brought in. You have to understand, they're just brought in to keep the flames of racism on. And then just found out tonight that uh, Al Sharpton has been named the White House Ferguson advisor, advisor for Fer- the Ferguson situation. Really? And I'm like, no way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, what, that's what I watch Fox News for because you know the other stations ain't going to tell you that stuff. They got to protect their boys. So, the, Al Sharpton, the, I only denigrated one Jew, Al Sharpton. <laughs> yep. Did you not learn yep. the lesson with Connor Brawley? I mean, really. <laughs> but you well, know listen, what? That was so 1980s. He's. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that was, that was so. Uh, yeah. Let that one slide. Somebody needs to call him and tell him that um, Rick James called and he wants his hair back. Or should I say he wants his hair grease back. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, let's, let's move on to the real topic of discussion. And I'm going to take this one for a minute. As you know, while the news media was so focused on what's going on in Ferguson, Islamic State conveniently made a video of them executing an American citizen. So, how did our president respond? Well, he took his jacket off went to a podium in a makeshift press conference, gave an eight-minute statement, and went back to playing golf with Alonzo Mourning. Ooh. Hmm. On the other end, David Cameron, Prime Minister of Great Britain, when he realized that the individual that did, well, not individual, I'm not going to be nice, the monster that did what he did 
spoke with a clearly British accent, he made a V-line, cut his vacation short, and headed back to Parliament. Right. Even you know something is up when even the French premier is telling Obama, dude, get on vacation already. The world is on fire. But I'm going to tell you something before I really go into my warlike rant. Obama is listening to Valerie Jarrett. You know Valerie Jarrett is Iranian. Well, she's born in Iran. Yeah, she's born in Iran. Her dad was Iranian. He's directly connected to the Ayatollah. But we'll leave that one alone. Anyway, now this is what it boils down to. They're they're bragging. ISIS is bragging about what they're going to do. They're going to come over here, and they're going to do all that. And I think in my own little way, I believe that's what Obama wants. But what they're not, but what they're not, and taking into consideration that if there is a major terrorist attack in our nation, two things are going to happen. One, there will probably be mass mass casualties if it's a big attack. But two, the backlash against Muslims around the world by not only American citizens, but people as a whole, will be swift and severe. And if Obama don't, doesn't do anything, talking about an organization, well-funded organization, that has now declared war against us with their action. Oh, Eric Holder comes out and says, well, we're going after them for justice. Dude, they declared war. So now, as Kevin Fobbs wrote in a piece today, the way you get rid of ISIS, you bomb them, you bomb them back into the ice age. You send them back to the ice age, and you scorch the earth underneath them. And then you systematically, this is one time when you trace the calls of who they're calling, where they're calling. If they're calling in the nation, in the United States, you find out where that call originated. You go to the source and you ask them why you're talking to a known terrorist. Hmm. And you eradicate that organization piece by piece. We have yeah, the there's, technology. there's probably a lot of legal problems with that, but um, maybe there's not. Apparently, the government can spy on citizens as freely as that. It's, it's possible. But Leticia, Leticia, not not if it's not if it's re not if it's reversed. If a foreign terrorist, if the call originates in a foreign country back here, we can do the reverse opposite. Mm-hmm. We can do the reverse opposite. See, that's what a lot of people don't right. understand. We can do the reverse, All but right. we so can't. Here... Go ahead. 
Okay. Well, I, besides that, the the spying aspect, which is, you know, intelligence has to be gathered some way, and and that's really not going to be, um, not not really where I'm I'm thinking, uh, of focusing the attention of this discussion. It's on um, the attitude, the attitude that right. we have. Amer- I mean, James Foley is not the first American to be beheaded, unfortunately, and I doubt that he's going to be the last. On you know, on the right. cutting box, and I don't mean that in a very flippant way. Really, um, is the next person they're threatening that ISIS is threatening is Saeed Abedini, and which really right. um, cuts really close to home with me. Uh, so, right. so here's the thing. Sorry for the puns. They are totally unintentional. I just do this as a gift. Okay, what can I say? Um, the, the What's happening there is we have a series of Americans, all these Americans who are being brutally murdered, and mm-hmm. our government is unable to marshal the nerve to do something significant about it to stop it. Right. Now, I criticize the Bush administration just as much as the current administration, the Obama administration, because uh, Nicholas Berg was killed this way when Bush was president. And I did not see a reaction from our government at all. In fact, a lot of the, a lot of the media attention toward Nicholas Berg's beheading was very scant. I saw it, I was shocked, I was horrified, and I was waiting for the American media to show some outrage, and I never saw it. Isn't it that sad that an American journalist, a, a citizen, can be beheaded by people who could care less about or who hate our country, and no one bats an eye? Like, That's we right. Don't bat, like, that, we don't even bat an eye. To me, that is, that's the scary thing. That's the scary thing about the time that we're living in, is that that is just affected, you know? It is. I, I'm thinking that with more media coverage, uh, more accessibility right. now than about 10 years ago, um, more Americans are aware of the, beha- you know, the, the things that are going on overseas, especially when Americans are killed this way. There is more outrage. There is more call for our government to step up and put a stop to this and make sure it doesn't happen to more Americans. However, I have very little faith in our government actually being able to do that. Number one, for two reasons. Number one is general political correctness. We live in a time where to oppose the source of the problem, which is Islam, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it right out, Islam itself is, is the problem. It's not, yeah, it's not the strength, it's the religion. Right, actually, exactly. And actually, Letitia, Letitia, Melissa, I want to take it one step further. A lot of people like to say that is the, the moderate Muslims aren't part of the problem. I, I got to correct folks on that. The moderate Muslims are part of the problem because they're not opening their mouth and saying something to all the small number of extremists that they allow to hijack the entire political 
movement. And I'm going to call it a political movement because Islam is not a religion. It's a political ideology. That's why you have different sects of Islam that pro- practices Wahhabianism, uh, Sharia, etc. Because, because it's not a religion. It's a political ideology that uses religion in extreme, extreme. I, in fact, well, I would Muslims, say they both. like to no, it's it's not. It doesn't it doesn't fit the definition of a religion. It really I would doesn't. Too. I mean, it's, there is religious dogma related to the nature of God and and those sort of things and and the afterlife and those sort of things as well connected to it. Basically, I mean, what they did is they taken the Bible and twisted it. <laughs> That's all they did. That's all Muhammad did because he used to be a Christian. Don't let that dirty little secret get. Yeah, he did. Don't let that dirty little secret get out. But he did. Because <laughs> there'd be some. Who, I'm not. I'm not sure that uh, there's that out. But um, there are things about in Islam that are definitely borrowed from uh, stories that were heard about Christianity. Oh, the first. Their first five surahs so, is almost the first five books of the Bible, almost word for word, almost. Notice I said almost. <laughs> well, almost. I can't even say almost. Uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, anyway, well, go ahead. Yeah, very big go almost. Ahead. And um, I'm yeah. sorry, did, did I, I, it's hard to hear you, Melissa. Did you have something that you wanted to add to that? I was just saying that, that you know, there's religious dogma, you know, you know, right. doctrine related to the nature of God and salvation or or their their version of salvation and the afterlife, this sort of thing. So, but those are intertwined with, I mean, I get what you're saying, Thomas. I mean, there's definitely um, there's a, a political type world domination type um, uh, um, ideology woven into all of that. So, I mean, right. that, that's all I was saying. Okay. Yeah, and, um, I, and I, I, I understand. understand. Yeah, I would say that it's both uh, because yeah. the world, the view of the world comes from the religious aspect of Islam. Islam teaches where where we get how things how they get from uh this is my devotion to God to what do I do in the world? Oh, blow people up and commit suicide bombings and beheadings and all that. How do you get from from A to B is religiously and politically motivated. The idea that Islamic supremacy is is the bedrock of every Muslim's faith, and I don't care if they're they're they consider this themselves moderate or or otherwise. Every Muslim who takes their faith seriously understands that this, that they are as a Muslim the most superior human beings on earth. That's what Islam teaches them. And if you're not a Muslim, you're automatically inferior. And that's where all of this comes from. Mm-hmm. Looking at the world, that is, remember when a long, long time ago when I had started out describing 
what the Muslim worldview is, there's two houses. There is the house of war and the house of Islam. If you're not in one or in the other. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in Muslim, you're you're automatically they consider themselves Muslims will consider themselves at war on some level with you. Mm-hmm. So there cannot ever uh, I mean the claim repeat. Okay. It's really very qualified. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep talking about That's you. That's what says that many Christians really are unfamiliar with, with with Islam. They don't know how to engage Muslims. They don't know anything about the about the Muslim faith, and that is a big error on our part. Um, and this is something that we need um, as as Christians. We need to be armed and and to to know, you know, what is is coming again, what we're fighting against. And right. So it just it baffles me that in this day and age that there's this this ignorance to, to what Islam is, what they believe. I mean, most Christians they don't know. You know, if you, they say, "Well, Allah," you know, they say it's God, the same God. You know, they have no idea what what they teach about Jesus or, or any of these things, which ties directly into their view of um, this kind of systematic um, uh, uh, dominance of, of the That's world. Right. So That's it's, right. It's, it is it's dominant. Really, it's sad that we don't that we're not preparing in our churches, our, our our parishioners, to understand, identify, and to respond to the Muslim faith. It's a huge threat. Right. And and so that's how we get to where we are today, with people trapped on top of uh, non-Muslims trapped on top of a mountain in Iraq with right. ISIS. <clears throat> trying cutting off their water, bombing them daily, throwing rockets at them daily. They're so desperate a situation they run toward any non Iraqi looking aircraft seeking a way off. I mean they are they are slowly being killed um up there and our administration has taken very few steps to alleviate their suffering. Now I went back and I first said one of the biggest problems is political correctness. I think that as a culture and in our government, we are hampered by political correctness because we have this doctrine, and yes, it is a doctrine that our government abides by and our culture now abides by, saying that it is wrong to criticize anyone's religion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know who made up that rule, but I'm not feeling the benefits of that as a Christian myself. I feel like my faith is under under scrutiny day in, day out, and I'm criticized for being a Christian. Samaritan's per- doctor who had uh, who who's recovering from Ebola has been ridiculed and called a douchebag by uh, by people for thanking God that he's alive today and getting better. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he thanked Allah, I don't think anybody would be would say anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody would say anything negative if he came out and said, "Thank Allah, Allahu Akbar," and you know, I am healed. Nobody would say a thing. But because he's a Christian and he thanks God, he thanks Jesus Christ, and he's thankful to be alive. He's fair game. All this to say that it is politically incorrect to criticize Islam. It's politically incorrect to criticize anybody except for Christians. And so our government, who is comprised of such individuals who are 
shackled by political correctness, can't do anything, won't do anything. They are even even President Bush would not say that Islam is the problem. He himself said Islam is a religion of peace. I you know I hate yeah, to but- break the bad news. It is not peaceful at all. Yep. Hey, hey, my two favorite co-hosts. Let me jump in here for a minute. Um, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to take off, go take a shower because I gotta run. But Letitia, you are rocking and knocking it out of the ballpark. I loved your commentary and that. I, seriously, I think um, on Wednesdays you should do like a 15 minute commentary. Because the way you do that, just like just have have it like Letitia's commentary, just 15 minutes, because that rocks how you do that. Oh, well, so, thank you, Thomas. That's, that's very kind of you. That's just a suggestion. So I know you're busy already oh, with, we'll talk with about it. <laughs> other shows. But, Melissa, I love that baby of yours. Love you and Devin. And I especially like the picture that you had of her where she was nibbling on her toes. How can she still do that and she's one years old? But that's so cute. Anyway, um, (laughs) I love you too. Love all the listeners. And we will be back next week. Well, I'll be back next week. They're, They're going to continue. So, all right, guys, keep up the good job, and I will talk to you all next week. All right. We'll see you later. All right. I'm going to okay, play bye-bye. a clip. This is this is actually Charles Krauthammer analyzing um, uh, his, what's his name, the other guy on Fox News' views of how our government and how President Obama has been dealing with the persecution and the beheading of James Foley. I want to go back to the idea of the secret mission because it is surprising and uh, – on the one hand, it shows how determined the president is to try to save these Americans. On the other hand, obviously, it failed. But as you say, it's intended to show how much the president cares. This is a political reaction to a horrific event. The administration is trying to say we're not just standing by and watching. Uh, so you can understand that politically, but it is the usual instinct of this administration to, to think first of the politics. The other way you could interpret it is to say... It is a message to the bad guys that we we tried but didn't succeed, but we're coming after you. We have the special forces. We need better intel. On the other hand, you think that if there was a mission, it did not succeed. They were on the ground in Syria. The bad guys would have known about this. It's hard to sort of tiptoe in and tiptoe out without anybody knowing. So I'm not sure it would have any effect. The major response and the, the proper response the one ISIS would worry about the most is not a rescue mission. It's the continuation of the airstrikes. So it's encouraging that we redouble the airstrikes today with 15 strikes. We were instrumental in the recapture of the the dam. The question is, will Obama allow the mission to be defined as a general containment and repelling of ISIS? Will he keep it, at least rhetorically, protecting the embassy and Baghdad, protecting Americans in Erbil, and protecting uh, the Yazidis and the Christians from genocide. Obviously, our mission here is larger. The president won't say it. The Air Force is uh, supporting the, the troops on the ground. That is succeeding. Will he continue it and sustain it over time? That.
So um, what Charles Krauthammer is trying to say is, does mm-hmm. our president have the backbone necessary to follow through? Right. I have to say, you know, with a lot of other presidents, I might have said, of course, of course our president has the backbone. What do you mean he wouldn't? I mean, that, why is that, would, would that be a question? I have absolutely no idea with this either. president. Yeah, I don't if either. he would, yes, if he would act in our best interest as a country. I, no, right. I, I can't even answer that question. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I think this, that's I mean, a, I, that's that's that is the problem. That this administration is so politically polarized that you don't know. And that is so that's unstable for us as Americans to have confidence in our government and confidence in our leaders and those who are supposed to protect us. Um we don't know if this if if the right decision falls in line or does or does not fall in line with their political agenda. Right. Um, it may, it may not, but we do not know at this point. James Foley, ISIS is sending a clear message. If you continue these airstrikes, this is this is the outcome. We we want to kill we want to kill you, and we want to threaten you. We want to stop you. And so, I think it would be um, not honoring to James Foley and his family and this country to retreat um, because of these these monsters and these cowards, you know. But Again, we do. We like you said. We don't know what this president is. It's so hard to gauge, you know, from day right. to day. Right, and and that's not to say I'm. You know, I don't mean to to give him more credit than I think he deserves. I think that he no. doesn't know what to. He the the reason I don't I can't read what he's going to do is not because he's so sneaky and and unpredictable, is that he has not shown at any time in this presidency in his presidency, a willingness to protect American interests. Right. He has to be, he has had to be forced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Politically mm-hmm. forced um, mm-hmm. to do anything. So right. with these, with, even with the airstrikes, let's go back a few weeks to when, this, yeah. when there was a decision that had to be made about this. Let's go back a few weeks. He, his, we know, I know the default position of his administration is to do nothing because he's, he's pulled out of our, all our troops out of Iraq. He mm-hmm. thought that Iraq was a done deal. We're done mm-hmm. with Iraq. We're leaving. Right. We're gone. Um, we have, what is it? 300 troops? And, and and diplomats, you know, non-military personnel in Iraq left, and and he campaigned on this. He campaigned right. on, remember, where Afghanistan was really where the war was, not Iraq, because Iraq was right. Bush's revenge <laughs> war. Yeah, and I had friends who had been in Iraq, in the, in the military, who had been in Iraq, and was they were just, they were baffled by that, by his claims right. and his statements and his promises. Because they're like, we have these these bases that we built up that are amazing. And the, this amazing right. equipment up there that is amazing. Why on earth will we abandon all of that? We know that this is, that we should be in this for the long haul. And right. they were, they, a lot of my military friends were baffled at his, his claims and his promises. As, as right. they, and, and now we're seeing the fruit as, of of his decision. As most people um, should be baffled. 
um, I I was baffled that he had the nerve to do it, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I you know I I think I see his political philosophy very clearly. I Thomas and I were talking about this earlier today, and this president has a this is his political philosophy as far as America is concerned. Remember that scene um, in in Runaway Slave where CL Pastor CL Bryant interviews one of the Black Panthers. And she says that America is built on white supremacy and slavery. Mm-hmm. And that is the ground zero for all of Barack Obama's political philosophy. America mm-hmm. is built on white supremacy mm-hmm. and slavery. Mm-hmm. Wow. And from that foundation, therefore, everything about America is illegitimate and must be diminished, decreased, and made insignificant globally. Mm-hmm. So I, this is I'm the reason why I have no faith in Barack Obama's willingness to do anything to save anyone's life who's innocent um, and the victim of terror, terrorism. Have no, zero right. faith, especially, especially if they identify with the Christian faith in any way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's my particular position. I think that he's extremely hostile toward the Christian faith and thus I mean, hostile toward Christians. What, um, I what you're can't. So, yeah. Because um, this, is this is not a one-time deal. This is a consistent policy. Um, yeah. uh, you know, this is what we've seen consistently in his policy during his presidency is this kind of shine away that we as Americans are, that there's something special about this country and that we need to fight for this country, that we need to fight for the principles of this country, um, totally giving away the foundation of what we are and what we've been for domestically and internationally. Right. So there's, well, it's, it's not just a one-time deal. This is a consistent pattern that we're seeing. So I don't think that we're overstating our case here. No, no. Well, well the, the, even if, okay, even if, he were correct. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, he were correct that America is built on white supremacy and slavery and, and yada, 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 add it all in. It's horrible. All right? Let's just, for the sake of argument, say that's okay. But what about today? Mm-hmm. Today we have Americans dying overseas, innocent Americans being murdered. What are you going today to we, do today? Maybe have a person who is half black. Right. Today. Right. I mean, if if that's not real progress, I don't know what is. But I I I don't have a lot of faith that he's doing something. But even if he were correct about American history, that today we have Americans who need help. Today he can show that he's not living three hundred years ago. This mm-hmm. whole antagonism toward America's founding is back at the founding. Mm-hmm. These people who identify with this way of thinking are thinking 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. You can't change history, folks. It is what it is. We can all link arms and <clears throat> move forward in the future together and make what is and, and abandon the the thinking that 
made up everything you didn't like about America before. We, we can drop it. Hello? Yes, we can. Just drop it. We can see and we can continue and say we don't think that way anymore. We can continue in life and we'll forge a new way of doing things. And that's today. Today he can take a step toward protecting Americans and protecting American interests. But he's not. He's locked in the thinking of, of being a, taking revenge on things that happened hundreds of years ago. He's not thinking of Americans today. He's not. And what we need is a president who can. Because lives right. are in danger. Lives are being lost. I feel, I, you know, we had um, uh, Saeed's wife, Nagme Abedini, on our show before. And my goodness, I cannot imagine how much she is suffering from day to day, knowing mm-hmm. that her husband could be killed at any moment. And now his life is being threatened by the same people uh, that killed James Foley. Mm-hmm. And the Iranians might just hand him over. Because they didn't like they him might. either. They might. You know, and for about making this country, we cannot undo the past. But, but moving right. forward, that is what the abolitionists fought for. They did not fight to take the slaves back to Africa. <laughs> they fought to, to create a society and a country where we could all live, progress, prosper, uh, I mean, commune, love together. Now, we, fed, we have failed in that in many ways, no doubt. However, it does not mean that we give up on that. It does not mean that we continue to divide and we continue to, to throw this country up as a lost cause and we continue to not protect the ideals that this country was founded upon. Even though it may, there may have been a lot of problems, it does not mean that, that the foundation of what, we, um, what this country was founded upon was flawed, you know? That's right. We're, we're human beings. We're, we're infallible. We're imperfect. We are sinful. We, we, make, we make bad decisions. You know, we have got to say, you know, slavery was, was horrible. It was absolutely inhumane. But you know what? We can rise above that and go and move forward as a nation, together, Asian, Hispanic, whoever. But, you know, the, the past does not have to determine our future as a nation and, and, exactly. and the unity that we can have, but some people just will not have it because of That's the past. That's right. I mean, there, people are... Uh, you know, radicals that, that are like Barack Obama have been railing against the Founding Fathers for, for all these hundreds of years. Guess what? They're dead. Mm-hmm. They're dead now. Why don't you live what? for the present? Why don't you honor your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself mm-hmm. today instead of hating the past? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really care, you know, emotionally wise. I don't care that you hate George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. I don't care if you hate the whole lot of them. What are you going yeah. to do about today? Right. And, and put that behind you and say, hey, if you really are concerned about equality and, and progress, I don't think they are. But if they are, as they claim, then let's see some of that progress. Let's see some of that attitude instead of spreading more hate, class warfare, devaluation of, of classes of human beings based on the way they're born, based on where they are right now, um, and, and the such. Why don't we see some of that progress? 
maybe. Right. Maybe because that ideology now? isn't really progressive. It's regressive. Why are we doing with Ferguson right now? We're dealing with Ferguson. Is, why, are we, right. why are we here? Why are we here? After all those years of slavery, why are we here? Why are we perpetuating the division? You know, why are we still here? And it, you know, to me, it's so sad. It's just a sad commentary on us that we this this hundred many of hundreds of years out, and we are still here. You know, we're still at this. And you know what? It's it's so sad to me that people who 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 elect their own leadership turn around and say our leadership is corrupt and yet still they're angry at at who? Who are they who is everyone angry at, you know? And I think that it, it, it just shows how liberalism does not work. Socialism does not work. You know, we have to we have to think for ourselves. We have to be individuals who are willing to take care of ourselves, who are willing to fight for our own families, who 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 promote family and protect family, first and foremost. And I think that that's the failure that, that we're seeing now. And I'm, it's just that all these years later that we're fighting this type of, of battle, but on a, on a different spectrum, you know? Right. It, it, it's, it's, a lot of it comes down to political correctness. <clears throat> you know, same thing that's happening here in Ferguson is what's happening in, in terms of substance, in terms of what's happening in the heart. Of America is political correctness. We do have our sacred cows in this country. They're all the wrong sacred cows, but we have them. You know, we can't touch issues of race, religion, things like that. We can't say that something is a problem when it's a problem. Why? Because it will offend the wrong people. You know, if you offend the right people, that's okay. But there's a class of people that, that are untouchable in this. They happen to be uh, black liberals and Muslims <laughs> in, in America. I and I, I don't understand how that class of people, we've moved from, um, we've moved from actually denigrating those who are absolutely immorally wrong and oppressive to actually mm-hmm. celebrating systems that oppress people. Like, yeah. how, how does that happen? Well, we, we look... Let's look across the pond to our friends in the U.K. We can watch it in real time happening there, which is our future, in probably a decade if, mm-hmm. if things keep going the way they are. I mean, right now they're fighting uh, Sharia law being imposed on everybody, and there are Muslims that are insisting that Sharia law is coming to mm-hmm. all of the U.K., all of the U.K., and they want mm-hmm. that for the United States as well. And I know people are going to be like, oh, don't be ridiculous. We could never have that here in the United States. You know what? It's Every day it's a step closer. If you are not seeing what's happening, you are blind. You are blind. We, I can just point to Dearborn, Michigan, where they are considering um, implementing some minor forms of Sharia. And, and what I mean by that is allowing people to live by Sharia law that are that is contrary to local, state, and national and federal laws here in the United States. Things mm-hmm. like property value, property not property values, property rules, rights, and different things. They're allowing 
um, what's happened in the UK is they're allowing women and girls to be sent away to basically just disappear from disappear from their communities. And, and what's happening to many of them is they're being sent overseas to marry some cousins. <clears throat> we know when they're 13, they're 14, they're 15. And mm-hmm. Sharia law tells the local government to look the other way. Suddenly it's okay because they're Muslims for girls to just disappear from their from their their home and be sent away to be you know married under age. Wow. It that is against British law and it certainly is against US law to do that. But here we have a massaging because of political correctness. People are trying to massage the US law to crack it open enough to allow Sharia law to say, hey, you know what? We're Muslims. Just let us do what we want to do here. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's what we call creeping Sharia, and that's what we call impl- the, the implementation of Sharia here in the United States. It doesn't automatically mean that every woman is going to have to have wear a face veil. But I'd be, I'd be lying to you. They'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that's the ultimate goal for maybe not two years from now, but maybe 20 years from now, or maybe even 100 years from now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, very, very scary times we're living in. But thankfully, you know, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Exactly. You know, we, we know that whatever comes temporally and earthly, that... Eternally, we're secure in Him, and that um, we will we will be with Him one day. But I, I think Christians that we need to really we need to start taking current events seriously. We need to to be aware yeah. of what's going on around we us. We need we need to we need to to have as much knowledge as we can on these issues, so that we can dialogue about them, so that we can educate those around us about them as well, um, and that we don't have to. Listen, not Jesus talks about peace and being peacemakers, but that doesn't mean that you um, give up your voice. That doesn't mean that you give up give up um, uh, your 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 God given right um, and, and let evil just triumph. You know, mm-hmm. we still yeah. have a biblical mandate to stand for truth and to be pillars of truth in, in this generation. And so we need to have backgrounds as Christians. I run into so many people, they don't want to offend, they, want, they don't want to offend Muslims, they don't want to offend uh, homosexuals, they don't want to offend anyone. They just want to talk about love and, and peace and how love, 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 and we can all get along. We can't, all, it, we can't just all just get along. It doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. There are people in this country right now as terrorists who want to, they want to kill you. Right. <laughs> they don't think that you should right. be alive. Based on your faith, they don't so think I, that you deserve breath, you know? So this is not just a can we all just get along situation. This is, will you stand for truth? Are you willing to stand for truth in these days where, it, where truth matters, where this generation, this next generation is going to depend on, on us to do that? 
I, I certainly think that, <clears throat> excuse me, here in the United States, in our everyday lives, we do need to stand up for more truth. And I don't mean that in a cliche way. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course, man, for truth. I mean that in, in a sincere way, in, in the sense of here, we have some very pressing issues. You know, abortion mm-hmm. is kind of the, 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 the hallmark of the show, the pr- right. what we predominantly talk about on this show. Um, we don't talk about it because I love talking about abortion. We talk about it because it is the la- the civil rights um, issue of our day. Absolutely. And it is important because we have we are killing our next generation, and right. we are doing it some with prejudice, some in ignorance, and the rest of us. The church is guilty, certainly, of being silent about it. Because we're afraid of mm-hmm. criticizing. We're, we're, I mean, we're afraid of being critical and hurting someone's yeah. feelings. That's, you know, and I, I just don't, I mean, I guess I just don't get that, you know. I mean, I, I do want to sit. I understand we want to be loving and we want to, people to be attracted to, to Christ and to Christianity. Exactly. But it's the message that they're attracted to, not to, it, it is, the embodiment of Christ, the embodiment of, of the truth that he spoke of. And this truth that he spoke of is worth, it, is, it means so much that it's worth fighting for and it's worth thinking for. It's not something that, it's, that is worth concealing or worth hiding or hiding in the bushels. It is something that is, that is worth sharing and telling and exposing because his truth is, it, it, it is everything. You know, the God right. word is everything. What he stands for is everything. And so, exactly. um, and and yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to bash, you know, what we're doing overseas quite so much. I'm going to yes. take us back because I told I told a friend of mine on Facebook that I was going to bring this up, and it dovetails perfectly with the overseas, um, the foreign issues that we're talking about. Which is, you know, it's one thing that our government is doing right is arming um, some of the 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 Kurdish fighters in the mm-hmm. in northern Iraq, in northern Afghanistan. Right to fight against ISIS. And one story that came out that I wanted to focus on is that there is a new army unit or this this infantry unit made up of women, Kurdish women, Mm. that are fighting. They're the ones that are actually hunting for hostages Mm. um, and trying to rescue hostages and killing Islamic extremists, these women. And it's, it's a fantastic story, and we're helping to arm them to be able to do that. And the reason why women are doing that is because the men um, of, of, of ISIL or ISIS are unwilling to want to engage and be killed by these women. Because according to them, if they get killed by a woman in combat, they don't get to go to heaven. Wow. Okay. Um, so they're sending these of women out to try to to do that work. Now, a friend of mine who happens to be of a more liberal bent says, "Well, does it bother you um, that these the the PKK is where the the, Tur- the Turkish PKK is, is what they're what they are these women and they happen to be communists." Mm-hmm. And he says, "You know, doesn't." bother you uh, that they're communists. And I, I have replied saying, I, you know, so they're communists. And he said, well, I thought you'd like to know that 
they're communists. I the arms you give that you advocate giving to them, um, and he's thinking ahead. Don't evaporate, he says, after they've completed this mission. So we're arming because I said, well, let's let's help these women. Let's arm them some more because they need that. And he says, well, you know, the arms don't disappear after they're done, and they're communists. Doesn't that bother you? But let me tell you. Okay, so I said I'd answer and I talk about it here on the air. The policy that I have personally, this is not U.S. policy. This is Letitia's policy. Why I think it's okay for a, a free market capitalist like me, a, a gun-toting uh, all-American girl like me, uh, wants to help arm these, and, and here's the problem. He sees them as communists. Mm. I look at them as women. I look at them as women who, if they don't do something to protect themselves and rescue others, they will be the ones that someone will need rescuing. Right. They're going to be the victims of Mm -hmm. ISIS fighters raping and taking them off to sex slavery. Wow. Do I care? Do I care that they're communists over the fact that they're human beings? Not really. No. I, if they're communists but they're being um, killed and beheaded and shot and raped, uh, they're not communists being killed and shot and raped. They're women. They're human mm-hmm. beings. Here's a little thing that I think a lot of liberals think about conservatives like me, that everything mm-hmm. is about a certain point of view of politics. Everything is politics. That you, Melissa, are not my sister in Christ before you're a black woman <laughs> and I'm an Asian woman. Exactly. Or, that right? or that you're a Republican. <laughs> I'm a Republican, and that's what our commonality is. I think for as conservatives, as a conservative Christian, what's fundamental to us both is that we're human beings created in the image of God. <laughs> mm-hmm. And from that, we have our differences, but our differences are, are tertiary. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, they're not important to who you are as a person, to who I am as a person, and whether or not, let's just say that we were polar opposites. In, mm-hmm. in everything, politically, religiously, everything. Mm-hmm. What does that mean that if you um, are one of these women here in, uh, fighting ISIS, that I shouldn't support you because we have well, differences of opinion on how government should be run? That's ridiculous. Right. Absolutely not. You are correct. So, you know, that's, I think... There's a tendency if when you, when you don't have that perspective that we all are human beings first, created in the image of God, and that's where our values as human beings come from. We tend right. to look at each other only in terms of our socioeconomic and political class. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all about a, all about a biblical worldview. I mean, right. this, I mean, this is an example not to not to throw our private lives out there, but Devin and I, um, when we when I finished this radio program, 
we are going to take out one of the girls we met at our campus ministry um, to, to, birth, to a birthday dinner, her 21st birthday dinner. Now, this young lady is, we met her in the course of doing ministry on campus and engaging students um, mm-hmm. as Christians. Is, is representing Rashford Christian Ministry. Now she is an atheist. She is a uh, bisexual. She is as liberal as liberal can get. She is pro-choice. She is pro-gay marriage. She is all of these things that I am not. <laughs> okay, all of these things, all of these ideologies that I fight against. That that is that is what she um, what she holds to dearly. Um, but what we've seen in the course of our, our conversation, and we both we all know where, where we all stand, and she knows where we stand as conservative Christians. Mm-hmm. We have made a level of respect and friendship that um, is, it, it, like you said, it goes deep as, as a human being. You know, we she has struggles, I have struggles, and some of those struggles are the same. Now, what, how we may deal with them may be different, but this is the struggle still there. And so um, we've been able to connect with her on that level, and we have seen God do amazing things in her life and drawing her to her to Himself through that. And we um, we want to be uh, there to be a part of that process of of Him drawing her. Um, but it's like you said, I respect her as a human being, and she is someone who I love and who I respect and who I, who I cherish, not because right. she believes what I believe, but because she is a a human being and she is a precious human being made in the image of, of God. And so, um, you know, I, this idea, it, it, I, I love that she is open to us as we are to her. You know, there's right. so many people cannot do that. Um, and, and, and she that's has, a beautiful she thing. Agreements with her liberal friends, her liberal anti-Christian, you know, friends in the, in the, in the LBGT community who completely mm-hmm. are at odds with her because she'll even send help to us or have dinner with us, or talk with us, or talk about, you know, apologetic issues and the Bible and these sort of, have these conversations with us. They're completely, completely at odds with her, and, and she started to see that intolerance from her, from her own camp, which turns her right. off. Right. Yeah. And, and it's an amazing thing. I mean, we, without, I'm going to just throw this out as a theological thing, without the renewed mind in Christ and the and the reformed heart, people to in, from person to person, we are just the sum of our political ideologies and beliefs. And mm-hmm. that is, I mean, regardless of the person underneath those beliefs, that is what we are. And that's sad because that's how that's how people look at each other. That's how we got to this point. But we are called by Christ to see people, regardless of those things. Mm-hmm. And we are Absolutely. not the sum of what we think about politics. I mean, God, I hope not. I hope that there's more to our lives than that. And so, right. well, let me let me answer the question, let me answer the issue that my friend had had raised. You know, what about afterward? Okay, so we're, we've armed these communists. <laughs> so we armed the communists. So what? You know, if they become an issue in the first year, that's for that's an issue for the future. At least they're alive to say something about that. You know, I mean, this is communism versus capitalism is first and foremost a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a 
worldview and a philosophy. And if people are civilized, we don't have to go to war over it. Right. But I don't think our in our country that we're going to uh, start something that we can't finish. Hopefully not. I mean, we've had some examples of our presidents being uh, starting things they can't finish or won't finish. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm not going to say I, I'm not going to protect your life because in the future you may you may betray, betray that that uh, favor that I've done for you and help protect your life. I, I, I'm not called to 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 take that into consideration. I, I'm just not. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah. It, it, again, I think it. I think it's the difference between the the worldview that that we see in, in the scriptures versus everything else. You right. know, and I think that it's something that um, if we really take to heart, you know, instead, this country, on the other hand, is completely rejecting everything Christian. Right. And well, this yeah. view, the view of man and the view of our of our fellow man is marred in that. And they, they don't understand when they reject Christianity as a whole in this nation or Judeo Christian principles that they're rejecting this complete respect for uh, for our fellow man. And that with that comes right. all society. Yeah, it's it's very hard to maintain the human dignity and value um, that mm-hmm. we. That our laws treat people with right now, all except the unborn. But it's very hard to have another country without a Christian foundation have those type of laws that give value, intrinsic value to the human person. Absolutely, it's very and, difficult. And that's what we see. We see things. We see laws in place. We see people just repeatedly and just so outlandishly breaking them. Murdering, stealing, killing, raping, I mean, just child abuse, child molestation, just just the most brutal things. So we we have these laws in place, but we strip away the underlying foundation of it, and then we wonder why people are not living up to the standard. Mm -hmm. But we hate the path, we hate the foundation of the country. We hate those things, but yet we live in this state of... um, of confusion about why people aren't obeying the laws. Why aren't people, you know, why don't people respect each other? Why don't people help each other instead of hurting each other? Why, right. why should they? This why should they? Why should they? If, if why they don't they? value their neighbor and they don't love their neighbor as themselves and see that their neighbor is themselves. I mean, why should they? If we have class and race and and uh, differences of those natures where some people are superior and some people are inferior mm-hmm. um, why should they mm-hmm. and it's, it's because of our foundation in Christianity that says everybody's you know equally sinful in the eyes of a holy God that we we derive in our laws that all the laws should apply to people equally. People don't understand that the way our constitution was was written um is 
is the first time that all citizens, now, you know, they had a debate over what constitutes a citizen or not, but all citizens, Mm -hmm. regardless of income, class, or background, are are equal before the law. Mm-hmm. That system, the system that we live with here did not exist before. We had serfs. We had nobles. We had lords. We had, um, that's from Europe. And in other parts of the, the world, everybody, there's an elite class and, and, and the working class or, or the proletariat class or whatever you want to call them. There's always a set of elites and there's always a set of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And here we we got rid of that mentality by saying everybody is equal. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I didn't want to get too far off the beaten path there. But I think it's important to realize that that's where our values and our laws come from. And if you're going to hate America for the way we were founded, think about what you're hating. <laughs> you're hating what gives you the right to do what you do. I mean, no other country will allow you to have this type of free speech. Not even in Canada. I mean, the Canadians don't have a first uh, a bill of rights for f- uh, free speech. They don't have a First Amendment. They don't have First Amendment rights. Mm. And the UK That's doesn't cool. either. That's so, true. you know... You have to think about, and we have here, we have here people from the White Privilege Conference telling us that the First Amendment needs to be curbed in such a way so people can't express their opinions because other people may not like them. I'm sorry. You go down that road, it'll end up being nobody has a right to say anything. Not even you. I mean, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, it's usually all about solitary perspective. These things are are fought. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's these left radicals really have to be careful what they're asking for. Oh, I know, I know. But but even if if, if you, that's the thing, even if these things are passed, they won't apply to them. They're always protected somehow. Somehow, I don't know how, but they're because they're they're, they're in the things. elite class. Because mm-hmm. they think they're going to be in the elite class. I don't know when they're going to wake up one day and, and discover that they're not. But <laughs> everybody thinks they're the exception. Not the, you know, the consequences mm-hmm. will never apply to them. I agree. Hilarious. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the last item that I wanted to deal with before we go today is of a pro-life nature. We're going back to, you know, I mean, it's all pro-life. But specifically in our wheelhouse, which is, um, I, this is the reason I, I don't keep up on Twitter so much because it's so fast moving and I just don't have time for it. I have enough time dealing with one one social media platform as it is. But apparently, what happened this week is Richard Dawkins, our our the world's becoming the world's most famous hated atheist, um, had tweeted out that. Advice. He was giving out advice. A woman who happened to be pregnant with a Down syndrome child had asked him for advice. Now, I don't know why in the world anybody would ask Richard Dawkins for advice about 
uh, what's happening with your unborn child? Yeah, that right have to be that's another show for another day, right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. But he had tweeted back to her to abort the child. He said, abort it. Try again. And he had gone on on his blog defending his his tweet because everybody's like, excuse me, abort a Down syndrome child. I happen to have an about Down syndrome child. What's wrong with a Down yeah. syndrome child? And he said, well, you know, we should just abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. Mm-hmm. And so what Firestorm is a whole bunch of people who are advocates for Down syndrome uh, began to say, why are you devaluing the Down syndrome child the way you are? Um, and yeah. people called him out for it. Now, he apologized today with another tweet and another blog post, but he didn't apologize for what he said. He apologized yeah. that everybody got so upset <laughs> about what he said. <laughs> um, yeah, you're other people's reaction, which is right. out beyond your control. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> and he he didn't want to be misunderstood as, as being callous toward people with Down syndrome. Okay. But, but then he then he apologized, for, but then he took it back by saying, "But if you were a a potential parent of a Down syndrome child and you want that child to be happy, you ought to abort the child because." the child would be unhappy after birth and it would be therefore immoral for you to bring in an unhappy child into the world. So he really mm-hmm. didn't change anything, he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really, I, you know, I'm waiting for the next group of people he's going to offend. It's deliciously funny for me to see him kind of move into this realm where everybody's going to hate Richard Dawkins for something. Uh, as careless mm-hmm. as he's being with his words. All in all, I think it's a culmination mm-hmm. of his atheistic worldview that brings him to be so... I mean, he's only he's only doing what atheists are programmed to do anyway. Uh, so let's yeah. not hate on him for that. Let's just hate the fact that he's an atheist. That'll be just fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I think he's just saying what atheists are going are programmed to say, and, and we shouldn't be angry that it's coming out of his mouth. I mean, but this is this guy. Yeah. This is this guy. Um, if people don't really uh, realize who he, who Richard Dawkins is, this is the same man who who thinks that um, that nothing. Here, let me find my what I had written about him earlier. It's really, it's really. To the point. It's, he's a man who thinks that morals are relative, unless you're talking about his morals. When I read the story, I mean, I was um, I wasn't expecting that much backlash. I was expecting backlash from the Christian community, perhaps, but I didn't realize that others outside the Christian community would, you know, have a reaction to that. And that was the problem to me because I didn't expect anything more from him, you know, <laughs> you know, considering, considering his worldview, right. Um, but yeah, that was that was interesting actually. I you know I think he's becoming a little bit addicted to the at- attention that he gets. So oh, maybe yeah, he no. throws it out there to get a reaction out of people. But he's he's a man who thinks morals are relative, unless you're talking about his morals. He's the, he's the man who thinks there's nothing wrong with a little pedophilia. He's the man who thinks that life on Earth is designed, but the universe is not designed. 
And he's this the guy who thinks that something can come from nothing, but doesn't understand what nothing means. Yeah, and, and what you said is that this man, his his one book, The God Delusion, um, and you know from from Dylan and Project's ministry and on college campuses, that this exactly. book has single-handedly been such a tool of Satan to make Christian kid or kids who are raised in Christian church homes turn away from their Christian upbringing and reject it altogether. This one book that he wrote, and mm-hmm. which is which can be refuted so easily um, by even a non-scholar. And so he wrote this one book. He has this influence to turn so many kids and, and young young kids away from the faith of Christianity, but yet he says the most ridiculous things. Right. He's offended um, Muslims. He's a, I mean, it's hard. It, it's it's hard to be in his position because he feels like he has to be an equal opportunity atheist. Um, but you know, I think it's uh, he has lost his judgment as well in trying to be an equal opportunity atheist. I mean, I think he'll learn that that Christians are the most gracious people who are going to be to him. He can bash Christians all day long. And we're not going to firebomb his house. We're not going to cut off his head. And, you know, we're not going to yell, Allahu Akbar. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and he needs to be at least cognizant of that fact. However, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. I think it's just funny that he's out to be the world's most hated atheist. And, uh, you know, as long as he goes this way, I think he deserves the ridicule he gets because he's really stuffing in it. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah, he's he's definitely on that path. I mean, he's done enough, and uh, you know, atheist celebrities are subject to to criticism too. You know, absolutely. Well, I let's uh, let's wrap it up for today. Uh, that was what we had on tap for today. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us for True Life Fridays Radio. I hope you guys learned something. I sure did. And join us next too. week. We're going to be back next week with another great broadcast. Check us out on Facebook at True Life Fridays Radio and our website, truelifefridaysradio.com. And we'll see you next week. All right. God bless everyone. Bye. Bye, Melissa. Bye, Leticia. (laughs) Good night. Good night, everyone. Hands up open wide, put your hands up side by side. Age don't matter, like race don't matter, like place don't matter, like what's inside. Let the kick drum kick one time. Breathe out, let your mind unwind. Eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling. Wide open, let your own eyes shine. Yes, where the fight
hands up, open wide. Put your hands up, side by side. 